Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So a, f- a few weeks ago, um, back whenever we had you know, rain and, and we had water in the, in the creeks and the rivers and stuff like that, um, I went to the Cadron, is it Cadron Creek or Cadron River? You know? Cadron Creek, all right. And, and, and I've also heard it said multiple different ways, so I wanna settle this as well. Do you say, raise your hand if you say Cadron, okay? How many of you say Cadron? <laughs> Anybody say that? Cadron? I've heard it. What about Cadron? Who says Cadron? Admit it, all right? <laughs> Cadron. All right, so we went to the Cadron. That's what I say. We, go, we went to the Cadron. And uh, it's one of my favorite places to go float because it's so close. It's easy. It's, it's whatever. But if you've ever been, like, you know that as far as floats go, it's kind of a, it's a little more wild, right? Like, it's brushy. Um, there's, there's not a lot of good places to like pull over and have lunch or get out. The water's not super clear. Like you probably don't want to be swimming in the Cadron. Um, there's also a lot of snakes, right? Um, and so we went a couple of weeks ago and, and one of the guys that went with us, his name is Joseph Daniel. He's our, he's our church um, administrator here for second. He handles all of our finances and facilities and makes sure all that's uh, working right. And so he went with us. And I'm not positive, but I think it was his first time ever on a kayak, and uh, he fell in, no lie, probably 15 times. Like, he tried to swim more than he tried to float, I think. And so we were going, I mean, every time we would hit a little rapid, I would turn around and, and he would be dumped in, and he'd be, he'd be swimming. And, and so one time we were, we were in this area, and I saw a snake, and it was swimming right there in the middle of all of us, um, right there, and I said, hey, this is not the place to fall in. Like, if you're going to be swimming, don't swim here. And within seconds, Joseph was in, right? <laughs> he was swimming right there. So, like, the Cadron is kind of that way. It, it's fun, um, but you probably don't want to be swimming in it. The Buffalo River is the opposite, right? The Buffalo is beautiful. It's clear. Um, there's great places to pull over and swim and, and, and all of those kind of things. So if you're looking to swim, Buffalo, not Cadron, right? You with me? And so I bring that up because we are going to talk about a guy getting in a river this morning, a a nasty little river, honestly, one that you probably don't want to be swimming in. And so he goes into this dirty little river, but he comes out clean. All right. That's what we're talking about this morning. So if you have a Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. So we're starting today, uh, Kings and Kingdoms season 2. That just means we're in the book of 2 Kings now. And and as you're turning there, um, just just kind of setting it up for us a little bit. We left off last week talking about Elijah and his depression and the things that he went through. And, um, you know, that was a, a good study for us to, to, to lean into and to talk about. And so we, we left off with Elijah. And today our story has a guy named Elisha. And he's the next prophet. And, and kind of Elijah passes the torch off to Elisha. And so we're gonna see him kind of this morning, but he's not even the main character of our story. See, Second Kings is different from the other books that are kind of in the set. So First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, they all kind of go together. There's kind of a four book thing and it tells us the history of the, of the nation of Israel and their kings, right? 
And so 2 Kings finishes that up, where the first three kind of zoom in on a couple of major characters like Samuel or Saul or David or, or Elijah or, or some of those kind of people. Um, 2 Kings doesn't really do that. It covers about 300 years of history and um, it, it talks about 29 different kings in Israel and in Judah. And so that's not even to mention like the random kings, like the one we're gonna see this morning, the king of Aram. Um, it's not even in there. So 29 different kings are included in that and it covers 300 years of, of history. And, and so today we're gonna see, um, again, we're gonna see kind of a, a random guy. He's not even from Israel, his name's Naaman. And we're gonna see the prophet Elisha this morning. Before we jump in to this story, I want us to pray together. So just right where you are, just take a second and, and I want you to pray for yourself and pray for the people around you. Go ahead and, and do that and then I'll pray. Just pray that God would speak to you and that he would speak to those around you. God, we love you. And as we open your word this morning, God, we, we wanna hear from you. God, I pray that we don't hear anything that I would have to say, but, but that we hear clearly everything that you would have to say to us this morning. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would show us Jesus. I pray that you would show us our own sinfulness. And, and God, would you help us to have boldness and courage to respond in whatever ways you're leading us to respond to you this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna just walk through this story this morning, kind of systematically. If you've, if you've ever been here before, you know that I typically have uh, maybe three points, you know, and, and like it's a pretty general outline like that. Today, I want us to walk through the story completely, and then I've got one point, just one point for us today. All right, so let's pick up 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Naaman, all right, this is who we're talking about this morning, Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior. Now stop right there, okay? So this is who we're talking about this morning. And I want us to kind of picture this story. As we walk through it this morning, try your best to picture what's going on in this story. So you have this man named Naaman, and he's not even from Israel. He's the commander of an army from uh, Syria, actually. Okay? And, and, and Syria had conquered Israel. And so here you have this man, he's the commander of the army, says he was important to his master, he was highly regarded um, because he had won different battles and different things like that, and he was a valiant warrior, okay? So you gotta get this. This is, this is who Naaman is. He's got power, he's got popularity, he's an influential man. He's accomplished a lot. He's highly respected, both in his community and um, by the king. In fact, whenever it says that he was highly regarded, that's the same language that's used in Exodus chapter 11, whenever it's talking about Moses. And it said that Moses was highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So picture that. Naaman is kind of in that same category. He's highly respected both in the community and by the king. So he's the kind of guy that you want your boys to grow up like. Like he's a hard worker, He's highly respected, he's successful, he's good at what he does, right? That's who Naaman is. But look at how verse one finishes. But he had a skin disease. So he has this problem. 
He has a skin disease. Now, the word there isn't specific about what kind of skin disease that he had, right? So we don't know exactly what kind of skin disease he had. Maybe it was a rash, maybe it was eczema, maybe it was skin cancer, Um, who knows? But Leviticus chapter 13 talks about any kind of skin disorder makes you unclean, all right? And generally speaking, the way that that word is translated, it's translated as leprosy. And you've probably heard of leprosy, right? Like leprosy is is a bad, bad, terrible skin disease and it had no cure. The death rate was actually 100%. Unless some kind of miracle took place, leprosy would kill you. It began as kind of this small little white spot maybe on your skin, but before you knew it, it it had spread and kind of gone crazy. It would cause sores all over your body. Um, It would cause um, like just things to just kind of rot off, like noses and ears and fingers and feet and, and different things. And so it was a terrible disease and it was highly contagious. And so There's all kinds of scripture in Leviticus and things that talk about what you have to do if somebody has leprosy. They have to be exiled from the community because it's so contagious, they don't want it spreading spreading around. So victims would be outcast from society, outcast from the city until they were either healed by some kind of miracle or until they died alone, okay? So that's what leprosy was. And in fact, if anybody even came close to them, they had to shout out, unclean. This is a bad, bad thing, right? And the thing I want us to understand this morning, sitting in this room, is that whenever the Bible speaks of leprosy, it, it is both literal and it's figurative, okay? Here's what I mean by that. It's, it's literal, like people really had leprosy, they really died from it, it was a terrible, terrible disease, but it's also figurative in that it's a picture of a much bigger disease. It's a picture of a disease of our soul, which we call sin, right? And just like leprosy, this disease is 100% fatal and it affects every single person, right? Romans 3.23, all of us are sinners, okay? And so in the figurative sense, every single person is infected with leprosy. But the good news is we're gonna talk about this morning is we have a God who is able to heal us from an incurable disease, okay? And so we're gonna see that as we keep going. Look at verse two. Aram had, had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. That's important, I want you to remember her, okay? A young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. Now, this, this servant girl speaks up, which is it's kind of odd, right? So you have this story, you got the commander of this army, very successful man, you've got the king of Aram, we're gonna see the, the king of Israel, we're gonna see the great prophet Elisha in this story, but the one speaking here is this servant girl, this slave girl that has actually been brought back from Israel. That's where she's from, right? And so it's kind of an odd, odd thing to happen. The, the, there's a prophet, she says, back home in Israel who would cure him of the skin disease. And the way that cure him here actually reads is he will gather him in, meaning that he's gonna reinstate him, readmit him into society. He's gonna restore him and heal him. This is what this servant girl says. There's a prophet who is able to cure Naaman of, of what is plaguing him, right? 
And so like, just, just pause there for a second. Like imagine this story. How desperate is Naaman to listen to this slave girl, right? What else has he tried before to try and fix this skin disease that hasn't worked? How many other prophets, false prophets, has he gone to see? How many different techniques, how many different medical things has he tried to where now he's at the point of listening to a slave girl for the cure, right? He is desperate. That's the picture. He's desperate for healing. And so then what happens if we go on and read verse Verse four through, through nine, I'll just kind of summarize it for us to save a little bit of time. Naaman listens to her and he goes. And he, he goes before the king of Aram, which is his king, and he says, hey, I've heard that there's this prophet in Israel that can heal me. And the king of Aram says, well, then you should go. You should go and, and you should seek him out. And I'm gonna send a little note with you so that, so that he'll know that you're coming from me. And so that's what happens. Naaman goes and he takes this note from the king of Aram and he takes, it says, 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. I was reading and that's estimated to be around $1.2 million in his time. And then I got curious, like what would that be in our time, right? And so if you did the math on what silver and what gold is worth today, that's around three point six million dollars that he takes with him to the king because he's desperate to be healed right so he takes everything that he owns and he goes to try and be healed but the king of Israel whenever he sees it he kind of freaks out and he says I I can't heal you (laughs) I have no power to heal you right and so it says he tears his clothes and all this and then the, the prophet Elisha hears about what's happening he said send him to my house and then here's a very important verse I think look at verse nine with me So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house, right? So so he's desperate to be healed, but he goes and it's just this pomp and circumstance kind of a situation that that takes place. So, So Naaman comes and he's desperate to be healed, but he also still wants everybody to kind of know like he's a big deal. Like he needs everybody to kind of see like, yeah, I have this skin disease, but I'm still the commander of the army. I'm still a big deal. And at first, it kind of looks like just straight up arrogance and pride, right? Like that's what it kind of, like he's just very prideful. And maybe, maybe that's it. But I wonder if it's something a little bit deeper than that. I wonder if this tough, successful, highly respected leader is just trying to put up a front. My four-year-old son, Ames, um, he and I are, we're tight, right? He's my buddy. And he, he wants to be big. He's always talking about, I want to be big, I want to be tough, I'll eat my chicken and my green beans so that I can be big like you, right? And if he ever gets hurt or he gets in trouble, like, he will try to appear tough. Like, he'll try and hold back the tears, but if you look at him, you can see there's pain in his eyes, right? But he's trying to, he's trying to put up this front. He's trying to look tough, and that's kind of what I think Naaman's doing here. Because we know that he's desperate. We know that he's desperate to be healed. But he just kind of puts up this front. Right? He's scared, so he puts on his best face and he acts like everything is fine. You know, maybe, maybe he's saying, in case this doesn't work, like everything else I've tried, maybe in case this doesn't work, I still need to put up a, put up a front. You know, 
But inside, I think he knows that all of his money, all of his success, his accomplishments, none of it can actually heal him. And so he goes and he stands in front of Elisha's house and he's got his horses and his chariots and he's standing there. And then look at verse 10. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left saying, I was telling myself that he, talking about Elisha, will surely come out. He'll stand and call on the name of his Lord and he'll wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage, right? And so in this moment, like we see that, that Naaman comes to be healed, but he comes with all these preconceived ideas. Like he has a picture of what he thinks his healing should look like. And he gets mad at a couple of different things. He gets mad, number one, that, that Elisha didn't come out and speak to him directly. Like he thought, I have enough status, I have enough power that, that the prophet should have come out and talked to me himself. Instead, he sends a messenger, right? And so he feels disrespected in this moment. You can almost hear him saying like, doesn't he know who I am? Like, doesn't, doesn't he know who I am? So he didn't like that. And then he, does, he doesn't like what he's told to do. He was told to go and dip seven times in the Jordan River, which is kind of a dirty little river, like I said in the beginning. It's kind of this nasty, nasty place. And, and, and he's going, I have, I've got the Buffalo River back at home. Like I, it's clear and it's beautiful. Why couldn't I have just done that? Why'd I have to travel all the way to Israel to come get in this nasty little river, right? And so he doesn't like what he's, what he's told to do. He thinks he's gonna be, he's making a fool of himself to actually get in there. And can you imagine like dipping up and down seven times, right? That's kind of humiliating. And so he doesn't, he doesn't like the method of what he's told to do. And he, and, he, and he thought that he'd be able to deal with this disease in some kind of different way. But the problem is, is leprosy doesn't care who you are, doesn't care what you have, doesn't care how powerful you are, you can't cure it. And I think Naaman finally starts to see that here in this moment. But this is where a lot of people find themselves today, right? Like they find themselves in this desperate place, needing healing, but unwilling to submit to the method. And the method that you and I know and believe to be true is that Jesus alone saves. Right? But people come and they're, they're, they're unwilling to submit to that. Or maybe people come with preconceived ideas about what it takes to be healed. They think I need to be impressive or I need to be successful. I need to have it all together. I need to bring my stuff to him. I need to do X, Y, and Z or I need to be good. I've heard over and over again people will say like, I need to clean myself up a little bit before I come to Jesus. Right? There's no way he would accept me as I am. And so there's just these preconceived ideas that we have, but listen, that is the opposite of the gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus alone saves. And the only thing that you and I bring to our healing is the disease. That's it. We don't bring any goodness on our own. We don't bring any success. We don't bring anything to merit being healed other than the disease that makes it a necessity, right? That's all we bring, is just the disease. And until you recognize that, 
there will be no healing. I said in the beginning that we all have this incurable, incurable leprosy called sin. And until we recognize that Jesus alone saves, we won't be healed. So I want you to see how, how Naaman's story kind of ends here in verse 13. And it's with his, his healing. Verse 13, but his servants approached and said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. So his servants come to him and say, listen, if he had, only, if he had told you to do something difficult, you probably would have done it, right? Right? Like if he would have told you to climb to the top of some mountain or run through a brick wall or you know, cut the whiskers off a lion or something like that, like you would have tried to do it because you would have felt like you were doing something to earn it, right? You would have felt like you were doing something that merits the healing, so how much more should you do it when he only tells you, just wash and be clean? And I think that this is what real faith actually looks like that it takes everything out of our hands, which is kind of scary, right? Because you and I, we live in a society that tells us if you want something, you better work for it. If you want something, you go get it, you go earn it. But in this moment, like Naaman finally understands that he can't do that. There's nothing that he can do. The disease doesn't care who you are, how powerful you are, how successful you are, how respected, how, how good you are. It infects you at the deepest part and it will destroy you. And so Naaman finally understands that and it says that he gets in. And it's this picture of him just fully submitting to, to the method that's been prescribed to him and it says that he is healed, he's made clean. All right, so that's the story. It's a pretty amazing story. It's this cool miracle that takes place, but I think it applies to us this morning. And so the one point I have for you this morning, the one point is that the path to healing is through humility. The path to healing is through humility. See, that was the major theme throughout this story. Like God kept trying to get him to that place. Naaman kept trying to, to climb high and God kept trying to bring him low to this place of humility, All right? He only speaks to Naaman through servants. Did you notice that? Three times. And, and so the, the method, the, the how he's gonna be healed is only given to him through these servants. So you have this major commander guy, highly respected, highly powerful, and a servant girl says he needs to go there. The messenger of Elijah comes out and says, this is what you need to do. And then his own servants say, just go wash and be clean, right? So God only speaks to him through the servants. And then he makes him, like I said, get in this nasty river. It's a humbling thing that God is trying to bring him to. Naaman, he wants to find healing through power and strength. He doesn't want to admit that there's a problem that's too big for him to fix. But it won't be, it won't be fixed by anything that he can do, right? It won't. And the thing that you and I need to understand is that the path to healing in Christ is not about how high you can climb, but it's about being brought low that the path to healing is through humility. Ephesians chapter two, 
It says you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. See, our salvation doesn't come from anything that you and I do. Like I said, the only thing that we bring to the table is the disease. The only thing that we bring to the table is our sin that makes his healing necessary, right? And so healing has nothing to do with our strength or our goodness. It is the gift of God. Philippians chapter two talks about that it's actually Jesus's humility that offers us healing. That he humbled himself, that he, that he bowed down low, that he, that he stepped into this earth on a rescue mission to save us, that he humbled himself in that way, right? He came so that he could heal us of this terminal disease that you and I have called sin. And he willingly went to a cross and he died. No one took his life. They didn't murder him. He willingly laid down his life for you and for me. And he offered his blood as a sacrifice that was needed. It was necessary to atone for our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death forever. And right now he's seated alive at the right hand of the father. And one day, every single knee is going to bow before him. The only question is, when are you going to do it? Right? Will it be now or will it be later, but the Bible says that every knee will bow before him and declare him to be Lord. In 1771, there was a, a poet from England. His name was William Cooper. He wrote what would become a, a very famous worldwide uh, hymn. And it came at a time when he was really dealing with some dark stuff. He was going through depression and, and all of these different things. And he had kind of hit rock bottom. And then Cooper wrote this hymn as, as a meditation on the saving power of the blood of Christ and nothing else. And it's called, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And what he says in this hymn is, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. See, Naaman understood he had a problem. And he was even desperate to fix it. But he was missing that third piece. He couldn't find healing because he was still trying to bring all of his stuff to it. And it wasn't until he understood that the only way to truly be healed was to humble himself and just simply get in the water. And as a servant said, he only tells you to wash and be clean. And the same is, is true for us. Our only path to healing, our only path to salvation is by submerging ourselves in the blood of Jesus. To, to, to willingly get in because nothing else will save you. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, man, put aside your pride, put aside your ego, put down everything that you've tried to bring to Jesus for him to accept you and completely surrender your life to him. Maybe you've tried everything else. You're desperate for healing. You're desperate for that relationship with the Lord that just seems to kind of, um, just kind of go by you in some kind of way. But maybe it's because you're trying to bring X, Y, and Z to the table. And today you just need to fully surrender and say, listen, it's, it's Jesus alone that saves. He's not saving me based off of anything that I bring to the table. I bring the sin and that's it, right? And so maybe that's, maybe that's you. 
you might be saying, well, it can't be that easy, right? That's what Naaman said, it can't be that easy. But it is, it is. Jesus has done everything necessary in order for us to know him. Come to him with nothing but the need to be saved and the faith that he can save you, and he will, because Jesus alone saves. Right? That's the message this morning. The path to healing is through humility. And we humbly bow before King Jesus because he alone saves. It says in, in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other method by which man can be saved except through Jesus. And so the application for us this morning is this. There's, there's two points of application. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've been trying for a really long time to know Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to be healed for a very long time, but you've been bringing all kinds of stuff to the table. And today you just need to lay down your pride and submit to Jesus alone. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been trying the whole Jesus and whatever thing and you're learning that it'll never work. Today, Jesus will save you. And the best way that you know how, you just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you love me and I'm asking you to save me, right? Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved, John 3, 16 says. What that means is not just believe like with my brain, like cognitively, like think on it. It means I submit my life to him. That's what the first, first Christians look like in, in the book of Acts, that they submitted their whole life over to him. So that's what that means that I willingly submit my life to Jesus, right? If you do that, you will be saved. But maybe you're here and you do know Jesus, like you have submitted your life to him and you have been healed. The point of application for you is I want you to see kind of that other group in this story. And that's the servants who point Naaman to healing. And I want you this morning, if you're a Christian, to see yourself this morning as the servant who just points to healing. That servant girl, man, she was from Israel. She, Naaman had come in and, and, and defeated them, raided their village, raided their area, and, take, and took her away from her family, everything she knew to be life, strips her away and brings her back home and makes her a slave. And she still had enough love for him to point him to healing, right? And that's our job. As followers of Jesus, we're just messengers, we're just servants of the one that can heal and we point people to that. So maybe that's your point of application this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna pray this morning and we're gonna spend some time dealing with the Lord. And I wanna encourage you in whatever ways that the Lord is speaking to you this morning, just have boldness and courage to follow him in whatever that looks like. And, and may we all just rest in the truth that Jesus alone saves this morning. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.